Zechariah again, the book of Zechariah. God raised up Zechariah to provide encouragement. Haggai came and rebuked them, the children of Israel. They had been in bondage for 70 years to Babylon. God brought them back. They started doing what God wanted them to do, and then they got distracted, started just living, pursuing their own desires. Haggai came and really called them out and rebuked them. And then God raised up Zechariah to come and really provide encouragement to them. And as you study this, you need to keep that foremost in your mind because you can get lost in the timbers in, in the book of Zechariah. And, and you need to come back and ask, okay, how is this given to him, given to him to give to these people? providing encouragement to them. And, and really, um, throughout this, there are many great opportunities for encouragement. But it's interesting, Zechariah, through these passages, does a, a number of times directs attention to their past. He also directs attention to their future. And then he gives exhortation to the present. Now, a danger we face in our life is exclusively looking at our past or exclusively looking at our future or exclusively looking at our present. You say, well, how in the world are you supposed to look at all three? Well, you're a three-eyed monster, okay? But really, it is to be balanced and to understand God's purpose for it. If you've read Paul Tripp's book, New Morning Mercies at All, you know that, that he often talks about the already, the past, and the not yet. The difference between the already and the not yet. Well, in this passage, we want to look today at Zechariah gives their attention to the already, the past. Notice if you'd look in chapter 7 and verse 12. In this, he says, um, we came and gave your father's exhortation. Verse 11, they stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts that had been sent by His Spirit, the former prophets. Then notice what it says. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. So, He was directing them to their past. He said, you remember, God came to your fathers. He gave them exhortation. They stopped their ears. They turned their hearts hard. And because of that, it brought the wrath of God. And as we read earlier, that God scattered them like a whirlwind, scattered the children of Israel among the nations. And, and He made, we're not going to take the time to look, we read it, but He said He made the land desolate. So He was reminding 
Remember, in the past, as a nation, your fathers didn't listen to God's word. It brought the wrath of God. God scattered them among the nation. And he made your land desolate. In chapter 10, he again is reminding them that God had spoken the word by the prophets. They didn't listen. Um, And he says in verse 10, There were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men, everyone, against his neighbor. So he's reminding them again, you had, you had economic disaster. There was, there was no hire for anyone. No one could get a job. You couldn't, even if you had an animal, you couldn't hire it out to do any work. It's what he's saying here. There was no finances. There was no peace to go out and come in. There was conflict continually. And, and he says, I am reminding you, this is the already. This, this is the past. And he said, I dealt with you justly in this. I was just in my wrath toward you. I was just in scattering you. I was just to making an economic downturn and, and causing great difficulty. But in the midst of this, He then comes along and he says, I want to direct your attention to the not yet. And in chapter 8 and verse 1, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. So, he reminded them of what the already, the wrath of God. But he says, I love Jerusalem. I love the city of Zion. And he says, I am going to return And I am going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And I am going to raise it up to be a city of truth. Now, scattered among all the nations to gathered back, brought in. And God says, I will dwell there. All this is motivated by God's love and by God's covenant. But... It hasn't happened yet. But it's encouraging to the believers, not just looking back, man, we've messed up, we've failed, but to realize God hasn't cast us off. He is going to raise us up. He is going to come back. And Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth. Notice verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And he's painting a picture of, to them. Old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem. Each one holding his staff in his hand because of his... So he's picturing. <clears throat> they weren't able to sit in the streets of Jerusalem in peace. 
But he says, the day is going to come when even the elderly will feel comfortable sitting in the streets of Jerusalem, holding their canes, holding their staff because of their old age. They'll feel comfortable. And then notice what he says. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. What a, what a picture. There's, there's nothing more delightful than to see, I mean, you can picture a Norman Rockwell painting, all right? And I know that probably half the audience here doesn't even relate to that, all right? But at any rate, but you picture this. Kids playing in the streets and, and laughing and joy <coughs> and, and us old geezers sitting on the side and saying, boy, isn't that great? Whose kid is that one over there? Oh, it's Ezekiel's kid, you know. And, and there's just joy. I read that and I thought, you know what? To this day, when I'm driving down the street and I see kids out playing, it brings joy to my heart. You, ever, you don't see it very often though, do you? It tells you we're not living in a land of peace. It used to be us old geezers saying, yeah, we left in the morning and came, up, came back when the street lights turned on or whenever. You know what I'm saying? Why? There was peace. They didn't have that then, but he said the day is coming when this city will be a city of peace. I mean, the boys and girls will be playing there will be a marvelous regathering. Notice verses 6 through 8. He said it's going to be marvelous. Verse 6, verse 7. Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east to the land of the west. I will bring them back and they will dwell right here in the midst of them. They shall be my people. I will be their God in truth and righteousness. He says, I, I have scattered you. That's already the past. But he says, I am going to gather them in a marvelous regathering and there will be a union with Christ. <clears throat> and he said, verse 12, I am going to bless the land. Remember, here it was desolate. His judgment was desolation. Verse 12, I'm going to bless the land with fruitfulness. The seed shall be prosperous. The vine will give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. The heaven will give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. I mean, whoo, talk about a great, great promise that he gives. See, all you, all you farmers and gardeners have... Had the winter time to renew your strength and hope. And your last August, you I'm done growing a garden. You can't get the rain. Nothing grows. Nothing prospers. This and that. You've already renewed yourself. You're hoping, boy, this year, this year, this tree's going to produce. This year. God promised them in this day. Man, I'm going to make your seed to prosper. Every blueberry bush is going to be loaded to the Every peach tree is going to have 
juicy, succulent peaches on it. Every, I mean, he says, I am going to bless you. And notice then what he says in verse 13. And it shall come to pass, just as you were a curse among the nations. That's another thing that was in their past. They were a curse. The Jews moved to nations. They hated them. They were a curse. They weren't welcome. Just as you were a curse to the nations, he said in verse 13, So I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. So he says... I am going to cause you to be a blessing to the nations. And we didn't read down this far, but at the end of this chapter, in that day, notice the last verse, um, 23. In those days, ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So, from being a curse... We don't want you around to, they're going to be grabbing Jewish people and saying, let us go with you because we know the blessing of God is upon you. <clears throat> but that is the not yet. They, they weren't seeing that yet. <clears throat> he said, I will save you and you shall be a blessing. He is going to provide full and complete salvation. We didn't read it, but in, in chapter 8, um, this is all a response. They came and, and asked Zechariah, you know, we fast on all these different months. Do we need to keep doing that? And Zechariah um, responded to them saying, this is in the past. God set up one fast. You added more fast." For your own practices. But he said, in the future, those days of fasting will be days of feasting. They will be days of great rejoicing. That's what he says in in verses 18 and 19. That there will be, their fasting will be turned to feasting. And they will be the desire of, of nations. So... He paints this picture, the already and the not yet. And some could be focused on the already, and others could be living in the not yet. Oh man, I can't wait till this happens, and I can't wait till this happens. But in the midst of it, he says, you're right now in this. And this is what I'm going to tell you you need to do. And in this passage, he gives specific instructions, not for the past, not for the not yet, but you could say for the nasty now and now. And you know, we're caught in the same thing. You can be thinking about the past and maybe good in the past or bad in the past, or you can be thinking, Maranatha, I can't wait till the Lord comes and, and all of that. But you know what? We're living right here now. And right now, the present, he gives us clear instruction from this passage. Notice in verse 13 of chapter 8. 
He says, you were a curse. I'm going to make you a blessing. I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Then he brings it right back. Do not fear. All right? The first thing he says, the exhortation that he, that he gives to them is do not fear. And you notice in verse 15. So again in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem, to the house of Judah. And he brings it back to reality right now. Do not fear. The reality is that in this life, our hearts are prone to fear. We look around, we see what's going on around us, and we think, yeah, I can't wait till then, the not yet, but what's going to happen between now and there? And uh, I know what God's done in the past, but boy, I don't know. And he says, the first thing out of the gate, do not fear. And it's something we need to take to heart. It is easy for us living in this world to be controlled by fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear, other than a fear of God, is not from God, so that means it has to be from the forces of evil. <clears throat> so to look at your life and the things that you are filled with fear about, God comes along and He says, right now, in this life, this is what I want you to do, to not fear. You know, the early church was attacked, was persecuted, there were martyrs, but they did not ask God to remove the persecution. You won't find that prayer. Rather, they prayed that they would face it fearlessly by faith in God. And the first thing, living in the present, he says, do not fear. Then, he says, right after that, let your hands be strong. In, in um, verse 9, he says that. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. In verse 13, he closes the verse by saying, do not fear, but then let your hands be strong. What he's saying is, it's not just sit around and try to, to put away fear. Get up. Get busy doing what God has called you to do. And like our Colossians verse says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. That everything we do, changing diapers, shoveling snow, um, going to work, cutting metal, whatever we do, we need to do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. We need to be active. And he says, let your hands be strong. What you know God has put in front of you, get up and do it. It's not, well, I don't know if I can. Just get in and, and do it and God will give you the strength as you depend on him. So he says, let your hands be strong. Be active in the work. 
I find it fascinating. So the first thing he says, don't fear. Yeah, but look at all this going on. And, and did you hear about this and hear about this and, and all these things going on? He said, don't fear. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Well, get busy working. What you know you ought to do, get busy working, get busy living your life, get busy doing, and let your hands be strong. And then you notice what he says. Verse 16, these are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, for all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. All of those things that he says deal with our neighbor. It's all interpersonal relationships. And so what he's saying, I'm going to summarize it and then come back and look at it individually. So he first of all says, do not fear, get busy working, let your hands be strong, and thirdly, love your neighbor. So it's important that we see even those that oppose the work of Christ, Not as our enemies, but as people that need to be freed. So, in loving your neighbor, I'm going to go back to chapter 7 again, because he gives similar exhortation. Notice chapter 7 and verse 8. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts. Notice what he says. Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion, Everyone to his brother. And he goes on and gives illustrations there. Very similar to verses 16 and 17 in chapter 8. But he says, show mercy and compassion. Let me ask you, how do you view your neighbors? I, I mean, yes, even the ones that live next to you. Or the ones that you work with, do business with, how do you view the people in your lives? You say, well, you don't, you don't know what my neighbor's like. I, I'm pretty confident there, there's drug dealing going on there. And so what's your attitude toward that? Are you moved with compassion? Are you praying for them? Are you trying to build a relationship? If the salt stays in the salt shaker, it doesn't do any good. We are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, in other words, it's not doing its job, it's good for nothing and to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. You want a definition of what's happening in America to churches? They're being cast out and trodden under the foot of men. As a judgment of God, because we're not doing our job. To be moved with compassion. It is but by the grace of God that I am not the drug dealer. 
It is only the grace of God, and it's same in your life. It is the grace of God that I'm, I'm not continually a drunken bum. It is only the grace of God. And we forget that. So he says, show compassion. But let's go back to verse 16. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. So we need to show compassion and mercy. And it's important that we speak truth to our neighbor. That we know the truth that we live the truth, and then that we speak the truth. And Ephesians 4, we'll look at it in a little bit, but it says speaking the truth in love. Truth can be brutal. I mean, we can beat people over the head with the Bible. So it begins with mercy and compassion, and and then it mercy and compassion is not just agreeing with everything they do and saying anything is okay. Mercy and compassion is caring for them enough to speak the truth to them. Because it is only the truth that brings hope. It's only Jesus Christ that that can heal. It's only Jesus Christ that can transform a life. So he says, I want you to speak the truth to each man to his neighbor. Then he goes on and says, stand for truth, justice, and peace. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. In other words, he says, it's not only speaking truth. You're going to stand up. You're going to have the courage to stand in truth. You are going to pursue justice for your neighbors And you are going to be known as an individual that helps bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. So he says, this is is what I want you to do. The past, the already, the not yet. But right now, he says, don't fear. Get busy working. And I want you to have a heart of compassion And mercy for your neighbors, for those that God brings into your life to speak the truth and stand for the truth. If it costs you, we've been talking about that in the adult Sunday school, to stand for truth, to be one that people can count on. They are committed to justice, doing it right. And to be one that... You know, there's an individual that that can help bring some calm to this situation. There's an individual that helps bring peace. You know, there's some people, it's it's like turmoil follows them wherever they go. Now, there comes a point that truth will divide. But it shouldn't be because of our spirit because of our attitude, because of our self-centeredness. So he says, I want you to show compassion and mercy, speak the truth, stand for truth, justice, and peace. And then he goes on and he says, Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. So he says, I don't want you to be thinking evil. 
toward the people I've brought into your lives. That isn't what God thinks toward them. God is moved with compassion. And He says, and I want you to be honest. Don't don't be deceitful. He says, do not love a false oath. All these things I hate, God says. So you don't you don't manipulate the truth. You don't deceive. You don't try to cover some things to get things a certain way. He said, I want you to be honest. All of these things <clears throat> have to do with, this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to be concerned about your neighbors, the people God brings into your life. A man told the experience of moving into a neighborhood, that this happened to him. The gentleman came over to meet him, and in the conversation, he concluded the conversation by just saying, I'm packing heat, so give me a call if anything happens. The man went on to repeat, Retell what happened. He said, my new Christian neighbor said goodbye with that statement and turned and walked to his house. It was several years ago. Our family had moved into the new home and Fred came over to introduce himself. During the first and which would be the only conversation that I had with him during the six years we lived near each other, He mentioned he was a Christian and attended a church nearby. And then, before finishing by appointing himself as the block sheriff, Fred informed me he didn't interact much with his neighbors because he didn't want to participate in community gossip. Sure enough, Fred and his wife kept kept to themselves the entire time we lived there. We rarely saw them other than backing out of their garage, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. He said, I imagine Fred's fellow church members saw him as an upstanding, committed man. But what I witnessed was an aloof, uncaring Christian neighbor who had absolutely no regard for the second greatest command in the Bible, to love your neighbor. My experience, he wrote, with Fred makes me wonder how many millions of Christians are perceived this way by their neighbors. Yes, they don't make any trouble. They maintain their yards. They go to church regularly. But do their neighbors feel deeply loved by them? He said, I don't know about you, but I've made it my goal to not be like Fred. I want my neighbors to feel that I truly love them. I want them to know that I'm here to be their friend, to listen to them, to know them, to serve them, and yes, to share Jesus with them. And he said, because I'm packing heat too. And like Fred, my neighbors can call me anytime. But my heat is the love of Christ. 
I wonder, do your neighbors know that you really love them? We, we, can, we can say, man, come Lord Jesus. But he says, this is where you are right now. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to love those that I bring into your life. And honestly, their blood will be on our hands. And we will answer to God for this. And it's a wonderful thing to think what God has saved us from, and we ought to. And it's a wonderful thing to look forward to what God is going to do, but right now, this is what He's called us to do. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. It's, as I was studying this, I thought, wow, this is Old Testament stuff. But I couldn't help but think Ephesians chapter 4 and notice verse 25. Ephesians 4:25. And in light of what we've already said, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Doesn't that sound like Zechariah? For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on the wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Him that stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands. Doesn't that sound like Zechariah? Let your hands be strong. That he may have something to give to him that is need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what is good to necessary edification that it may impart grace to the ears. Zechariah said, don't speak evil of your neighbor. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. That, that's just echoing what Zechariah said, and, and this is where God wants Christianity flushed out of our lives in the real life, nasty now and now. Because this world desperately needs it. So, let me just quickly make some applications. Number one, God rules over all. The past, the present, and the future. He's timeless, so He's already in the future right now, and He's in the past right now, and He's right here right now. He rules over all. Number two, God keeps His promises. He told the children of Israel, I've scattered you. But I will be gathering you back from the east and the west. I'm going to come and reign and rule in Jerusalem. We've seen some of that promise fulfilled. But you can count. He's going to fulfill every promise that He has ever given. And then, God has individuals that He wants you to influence. That's the whole thing about the neighbor thing. That's the whole thing about do not fear, let your hands be strong, 
Love your neighbor. Show compassion. Speak the truth. Stand for justice and peace. Don't think evil. Be honest. Have compassion. God has individuals He wants you to influence. That really only you can. No one else can. He's brought them into your life for that reason. I read, I don't even know what it is, but I read people say, Susie Q, the influencer. I don't even know what it is, but they must have a huge social media following. We are influencers. We're supposed to be. Who is it in your life that really knows you love and care for them? God has individuals, regardless of your age here today, that He wants you to influence. Number four, the best is yet to come. Yes, indeed. The best is yet to come. And we rejoice in that. And so, as a result of all of that, we ought to be encouraged and do the work. Man, it's, it, it's all going to end well. Praise the Lord. So right now, that I'm, I'm going to work even more. I want to honor God more. Whoever you bring into my life, Lord, I want to love them as you love them. And I want to care for their souls as you do. And, and that's what he's called us to do. Someone said, always pray to have eyes that see the best in people. A heart that forgives the worst. A mind that forgets the bad. And a soul that never loses its faith in God. And our hearts ought to be encouraged when we look at the past, look at the future, and look at the great opportunity God's called us to do. Heavenly Father, I pray today that You would cause us to be refocused. Lord, I pray for every believer here today As with the children of Israel, it's so easy for us to get caught up in our own life, our own pursuits, and have a slack hand at what You have called us to do. And Lord, I pray that we would be truly broken and burdened for the people You bring into our lives And not even just the ones you bring in, but the ones you want us to build relationships with and pursue. And Lord, I pray that the light of the gospel would shine through us and make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, I pray for individuals that may be listening to this message that perhaps have never called upon You for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, help them to see that You are the only hope. You are the only one that can change our past and give us a blessed future. And Lord, that they would call upon You for the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, accomplish Your purposes. May we be refocused on the mission You have given every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.